Hello everyone, it's Friday the 16th of April and it's a bit of a special episode today as we are marking the first anniversary of the show. Happy birthday to us. A year ago today, Ben and I were joined by Chris, John and Neil Wilson for the very first episode. Time flies when you're having fun, eh? Welcome to episode 51 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now, as Will has said, it is the first anniversary of the show. And if we look back to that very first episode a year ago, we were talking back then in the context of, you'll all remember it, I mean, massive societal and economic changes. COVID began to bite a year on, and we're going to keep a broad approach for the anniversary episode. But instead, we're focusing on that societal and economic influence uh, that dairy has had on a global basis. Um, especially in parts of the world that we don't often talk about on the podcast. We began to explore this a bit last week with Eric Elgesmer, but today we'll be asking what the role of dairy is when it comes to social development, economic development and food security, away from the conversations surrounding the market commodity context. To do this, we're joined from the States by Mitch Cantor, who is Scientific and Technical Director at Global Dairy Platform. And in the UK, we're joined by Kite's Managing Partner, John Allen. And as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show, Chris. It's over to you for the Kite Podcast first anniversary milk market report. Where are you this week? Well, since we're recording this at two o'clock in the afternoon, I've naturally just woken up after my after lunch nap. (laughs) Dairy market analysts must have due to the arduous nature of our work. (laughs) What a terrible nightmare I've just had. So unfortunately, I'm bringing you my report from the twilight zone. But what was this vision of hell? Was it running the marathon with Becky? (laughs) No. Realising that no one anywhere ever has found a single one of my podcast jokes funny. (laughs) No, not that either. (laughs) My dream was that all the cows on earth had vanished. How bad is that? Now, ask me, who on earth would ever imagine such an awful thing? Who, Chris? Who? Who? Well, Mr. Mitch, our eminent guest this morning, that's who. He's even written a scientific paper about it where he uses much longer words than I ever do. And I quote, A world without cows would undoubtedly make it more difficult for us to adequately feed a growing global population. The economies and cultures of whole communities, states and countries would suffer tremendously and food products that add to the enjoyment of many people's lives would be no more. That's alarming stuff, but as far as I'm concerned, that's nothing. There are far more serious consequences that which he didn't include at all, and they're these. I'd have nothing to write about, would have to find a new job, and we'd have nothing to talk about on this podcast. (laughs) Thus, we'd have no listeners, and how bad would that be? And what would our lovely dairy farmers do? No milking, no feeding, no moving fences, and worse of all, no posting on social media about how much their grass has grown overnight. <laughs> so, <I'm> not. <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant we've got Mitch from the Global Save the Cows platform to tell us why not only do we need cows, but the whole world needs them too. I can't wait. 
And if you don't want to either, you know what to do, press the fast forward button because here comes my report. And as predicted last week, German milk volumes have caught up with 2020 levels after lagging well below all year. So that's one to watch. And things are drying out in New Zealand too. So another pointer on milk volumes. Here in the UK and Europe, the cold weather should have taken the sting out of flush volumes, but maybe not enough. On the markets, the official butter price in Europe has remained above 4,000 euros, but no one's going to sell any at that price. It's too high and less than 4,000 now to make a sale. UK prices have also slipped. On powders, they're pretty good. Um, so nothing really to worry about there. Skim milk and whey doing very well. And butter and skim powder result in an ampy price of under 31 after transport and before a processor margin. So probably 29p or so afterwards, which is where the latest Muller futures have settled. So on to those futures. Whole milk powder in New Zealand is very good still. Uh, with uh, reasonable gains, and that's the same with skim milk powder. Uh, EU prices are up modestly on powder too, but butter, they've dropped a bit uh, to 4,160 average here. But for New Zealand, what's happening there is is a massive 1,000 euro equivalent range between prices now and new season ones when the new milk year starts uh, in July. But all in all, futures are pointing to 32p, so still very good. However, they are higher than what we've got here. And here we come to the bad news. UK cream and spot milk prices are pretty rubbish. Cream prices have been quoted as low as 125 uh, for the domestic market to as high as 140 for export. And there's a massive range because the number of processing plants that can take it is already slim because of record high milk volumes and falling all the time. Uh, That's the capacity uh, to cope with the cream rather than the volumes. Some processes are so full, the price is irrelevant, really. They can't take it. It's the same story for spot milk. Most factories are also full and can't take any more. And consequently, the price there is just over 20p. However, it is above that threshold as opposed to being below it. Cheese is fine. Miles still good here, but younger cheeses on the continent under a bit of pressure due to that uh, milk volume and the flush. So that's it. After this podcast is over, I think I'll have another nap to try and dream about a few cows vanishing as opposed to them all. That way, milk volumes may drop a little bit then buyers would worry more than they are doing and consequently prices would rise. Just in fact, as happened last year with milk, the uh, milk reduction scheme from Muller. Imagine what would happen if there were another one. Hmm, worth thinking about. So take it away, Ben and Will and Mitch. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Um, Mitch, welcome to the show. Can you tell us about Global Dairy Platform, please? What are what are its objectives and who's involved? Sure, thank you. Actually, Chris, a tough act to follow, but I'll, I'll <laughs> do my best. Um, 
Yeah, Global Dairy Platform um, was formed uh, about a dozen years ago. Uh, it was formed initially uh, by four of the largest dairy companies and cooperatives in the world. It was Friesland Campina from Netherlands, Arla in Denmark, Fonterra in New Zealand, and uh, Dairy Farmers of America and United States were the initial charter members, if you will. Uh, we've grown now to where we have almost 100 companies that are part of Global Dairy Platform. And, and largely what we do, we work is collab, uh, we lead collaborations or facilitations within the dairy industry, among dairy companies, among dairy associations uh, from various countries, among scientists uh, and other bodies to, to promote dairy. Um, obviously from a nutritional perspective, um, but most recently, certainly from an environmental perspective, a cultural perspective, as well, all of the facets of, uh, of what now is starting to be called a food system. And, and I don't know if we'll delve into that at all, but that's become, I, I don't wanna you know, be glib and, and say it's become the trendy term, but, but certainly when people talk about agriculture, nutrition, food these days, they're talking about it more in the context of food systems, which encompass much more than just the nutritional aspect of food. But any case, this is what Global Dairy Platform immerses itself in. Um, I think it, very quickly, the five areas where we work the most, um, communication and marketing is a big part of what we do, communicating within the dairy sector as well as externally to, to other stakeholders. Uh, we, we oversee a lot of nutritional research uh, that's going on around the world. Uh, we're heavily involved in the United Nations, um, UN engagements. Uh, there's a big food system summit set to occur later this year uh, that the United Nations is uh, spearheading. So we're heavily involved in that. Uh, we're involved in, in several sustainability efforts. Um, I know you had Brian Lindsay on the podcast uh, fairly recently, and he spearheads a lot of our efforts around sustainable nutrition uh, and sustainable dairy. So those are the primary things that Global Dairy Platform does. I'd say in a nutshell, we're facilitators and collaborators to various entities within the dairy sector. Um, John, we're going to look a little uh, for a little bit briefly back at last week. Eric made a point uh, last week highlighting the correlation between a vibrant dairy industry generally um, and a vibrant world economy. Um, can you just follow on from Mitch um, and, and give us your perspective on the broader importance of dairy, which is what today's really all about, um, celebrating that broad importance of dairy away from uh, milk status simply as a global commodity product? Brilliant. Thanks, Ben. <clears throat> and welcome, Mitch. It's really good to have you on uh, because I've got a bit of a pet uh, obsession about this, actually, which I've not confessed to, which I will do now. Because I, I, I as long as that, that's all you're confessing to, Yeah, John. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first birthday episode, clearly. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I, I just really, yeah, I, I'm such an enthusiastic for dairy that, when you suddenly start to realise what the facts are about dairy, and I'm going to tell you a few in a minute, you suddenly put dairy in context. Chris talked about a world without cows. Now listen to this. What do you think the net sales of dairy in a global world are? Give me a number. Any numbers? No. I'll tell you. Chris hasn't even got an answer this time. Well, it's $450 billion. 
Jeez. And that's the turnover. Wow. That is the global turnover of Amazon and Microsoft put together, right? Yeah. Fact number one. How many people keep dairy cows? How many people are dairy farmers in the world? 350 million. Ah, oh, no, that wasn't that bad. That's the number of cows, all right? And the average herd size in the world is 3.4 cows. That's the average herd yeah. size. And there's a nearly 120 million dairy farmers in the world. Oh, yeah. And we support nearly a billion people downstream in terms of the food industry and the whole sector that is the multiplier effect. That's what dairy means to the world. And, 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 and we're in a world where actually we've got a population, we've gone on about it and on about it, growing by a billion from 7.6 billion to 8.7 billion in the next 10 years. So that is, and dairy, as you'll hear from Mitch, is so, so important to those people. So we, I think, in the West get very obsessed about the village where we are. Just think about ourselves that we're in the global village with another 120 million dairy farmers. Those are all our compatriots. Those are all the people who we work with and they want to actually get dairy because they think dairy is a great nutritionist product. Isn't it, Mitch? Is that fair? Absolutely, John. Yeah, I, you know, I committed to memory some of those factoids, you know, a billion people that either live on farms or, or work for the dairy industry. Um, it's pretty impressive. I think... Um, I've been told that, that milk is the number one ag agricultural commodity by value in the world and number three by volume. So certainly um, it's an important industry and it, uh, it uh, supports a lot of people around the world. Uh, we tend to forget that, I think, when we think of milk uh, and dairy products solely as nutritional products. But um, we, we shouldn't forget the value that dairy brings from a cultural perspective, from an economic perspective to the people as well. Yeah, it's one of these things that drives me to distraction when people talk about plant-based and just destroy livestock farming and take away all the cows, like you just said, Mitch, because they have no thought, no context about what dairy means to poor people around the world. It's it's an engine for growth. It's an engine. It gives. It, if go to Rwanda, see the people there whose lives are transformed by getting a dairy cow to give ten liters of milk instead of one liter. That puts the kids in school. That puts shoes on their feet. That puts clothes on their back. Dairy is far far more than just pure nutrition. That's the bit that I really feel very strongly about, and that's why we wanted. Mitch on the platform because I think we need to start exploring what dairy really means around the world in mm. this context. Mitch, if we think about the UN's sustainable development goals, what role does dairy play in meeting these objectives? Yeah, I, I think um, the short answer is many. Um, I, if you look at the sustainable development goals, uh, pointing out just a few off the top of my head, sustainable uh, goal number one, which is poverty alleviation. Sustainable uh, development goal two is hunger. Uh, Ten is addressing inequalities. Seventeen, delivering partnerships to implement solutions. And I, I can go on, um, but those are the only four that I have relatively committed to memory. But but absolutely, dairy plays a role in all of these. You know, we've talked in the last few minutes about um, poverty alleviation and how in parts of the world dairy make the difference between your child going to school or not. Um, alleviating hunger, the nutritional value 
of dairy is is obvious um, and have implications there. So you can look at, you know, if you go down the list of the um, sustainability development goals, sustainable development goals, I think it's fair to say that dairy can slot into at least three quarters of those and 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 play a role uh, in the betterment, if, if you will, of people around the world. Yeah. yeah. And just sticking with sustainability, I mean, Mitch, in the UK, um, we have a big focus on sustainability at the moment, especially when it comes to the environment. Um, from your perspective, where does dairy sit uh, in these discussions, but on a more global basis? Yeah, uh, you know, I I think it would be, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that is a, uh, a sector we couldn't do better. Any of the agricultural sectors can do a bit better. And to go off on a tangent, but we have a number of programs we're working on right now. We have a net zero pathways to low carbon dairy program we're working on. We have the dairy sustainability framework that Brian Lindsay is heading up. Um, so we've, we've got a number of programs designed to mitigate some of the, the greenhouse gas emission issues that exist in dairy. That said, I think what's often um, underappreciated or underestimated is the benefit that that cows have with respect to the environment. A couple of cases in point, cows are great upcyclers. Um, About 85% of what cows consume, humans couldn't consume. And so they're taking largely human and edible products out of the ground, you know, be it hay or silage, whatever it is, converting it to high quality protein uh, that humans can consume. So cows are great upcyclers. And if they no longer existed, you wouldn't have that that benefit from them. Cows are also involved in the carbon cycle um, with uh, carbon sequestration of, of um, you know, carbon in the, in the grass, in the foliage where cows graze and in manure as well. Um, manure is, is a, uh, carbon sequestrant, if you will. You know, I have a a little factoid that I often tell when I'm doing these sorts of, of, uh, or having these sorts of discussions. Um, 64 liters of manure is what most cows produce on a given day. Well, of that 64 liters of manure, that can fertilize about 38 kilos of tomatoes. Um, So it has a, you know, an important role in that regard as well. And so if there were no cows to fertilize those tomatoes, you'd have to use synthetic fertilizer, which has its own set of issues to be sure. So my point is there's, there, are, there are a lot of positives about cows in the environment that never get talked about when we're discussing cow belch and methane and yeah. greenhouse gas emissions. It's a much more complex story than that and a, a positive one. Um, from a, I think, from an environmental perspective. Um, when it comes to nutrition, um, we tend to hear very mixed narratives in the UK, depending on which group you listen to. Um, in terms of being part of a mixed, healthy diet, I mean, we've we talked about the way dairy is seen in different ways around the world, but should there be a, a single nutritional message put out across all nations when it comes to dairy? I think, uh, yeah, a single message to me would be dairy is one of the most nutritionally dense, affordable food products in the world. And by nutritionally dense, for those not familiar with the term, it means 
getting the most bang for your bucks, the most nutrients with the least amount of calories. So, you know, versus something that's not nutrition, then it's like a candy bar where you're not getting a lot of nutrition, but you're getting a lot of calories. Dairy and milk tend to give you lots of nutrition and overall, not a whole lot of calories. Um, calcium, obviously, is what most people think of when you think of dairy. There's a lot of other minerals, phosphorus, zinc, uh, potassium in milk, vitamin A, uh, a lot of the number of B vitamins. And in certain parts of the world, we fortify with vitamin D. Um, the other obvious thing is a high quality protein in dairy, which is pretty much second to none. Um, this is one of the huge issues, I think, that we're combating with respect to um, the Eat Lancet report that came out recently, for example, where they're talking about us becoming a much more plant-based world, where we consume much more plant, much fewer uh, amounts of, um, of animal source foods. You take dairy out of the equation, you're losing one of the best sources of high quality protein in, in the diet. Yeah. So Mitch, in the context of all this, how does Global Dairy Platform work towards a better future for all of us in practical terms? And, and what are you doing on the ground? Yeah, well, as far as our membership goes, um, you start from that perspective. I think our members who are largely dairy farmers, the dairy sector, these are people who get up every day, um, take care of the land, take care of their cows, provide nutrition. So in a very, you know, top line sense, what our GDP and its members are doing are nourishing the world and trying to do it in as environmental stewards. Um, they're not getting up in the morning and saying, what can I do to harm the earth today or produce substandard products? Uh, so, you know, I, I think as a starting point, that's important to point out. As far as specifics about what GDP itself is doing, I, I mentioned a couple of the uh, activities we're involved in this net zero pathways to low carbon dairy, which is sort of a clarion call to the industry. We're trying to get um, as many companies as possible to sign on to this, to make commitments to lower their carbon footprint over the next 20, 30 years. And so we've got that program going on. I've mentioned a couple of times the dairy sustainability framework that Brian Lindsay leads, uh, which right now I think has about 46% of the, um, the formal milk market is reporting into this. And they're reporting in, you know, what they're doing from an environmental perspective. And so we're starting to gain insights on what could be done better. You know, you have, we have baseline information on how farms are doing. And the idea is to give them insight on how they can do better as individual farms, which ultimately will, will make the, the whole sector collectively better. So we have that program going on. Um, we also, the one I didn't talk about, which is very interesting, we have a program called Dairy Nourishes Africa. And we're working initially in Tanzania, but we plan to work in other East African countries as well soon. The idea is just to help grow the dairy sector in Tanzania initially in conjunction with the government in, in a public-private partnership. We've got a number of dairy companies on board that are kicking in dollars and the idea here, it initially is an altruistic-based program. It's not, can Arla Foods get in there and then, you know, take over the dairy market in Tanzania or any other company. It's truly to help small farmers 
grow their their business, become more efficient uh, through breeding and other processes, create more efficient cows. So therefore, you have low, you know a lower environmental footprint in the country, create livelihoods for people. So we do have programs like that going on as well. Um, and so I think overall, we, we've got our hands in a lot of pots that will have implications from an environmental perspective, cultural, economic perspective as well in, in several countries. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that's all we have time for today. But a very big thank you to our guests, Mitch Cantor, John Allen and Chris Walkland. Yes, thank you very much for listening. We're all we're all off to the pub now to celebrate the first anniversary. Apart from Chris, apparently, who's off for his afternoon nap. Um, although I'm not sure they've started putting milk in kegs yet, so I thought I'd prepare one. Prepare one just in case. Cheers, guys. <laughs> thank you. Oh, all. Beautiful. <laughs> we'll be back next Friday, but for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.